I guess it would be best for me to kind of introduce myself and my wife a little bit. Uh, we are from Vernon. Uh, prior to that, we were from other places. Um, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to share with you this morning. It's our privilege. But I thought it would also be appropriate just to share a little bit about who we are. So I just put this little thing up there that says, this is us. <laughs> kind of took it from the, the, the show, This Is Us, right, on television. Um, we, we are married. <laughs> 38 years, I believe. <laughs> uh, we have two daughters both of those daughters are married and both of our daughters have three children and they both have two one daughter and two sons so we have six grandchildren that are with us today uh, the Lord has sought to take several of our grandchildren home and uh yeah, it's a hard, a hard part of our life. But we have to accept what God gives us. And we know where those children are. And we're looking forward to that day. Uh, I haven't always been a pastor. I spent uh, almost 20 years, a little over 19 years in the auto body industry. Uh, almost 10 years in my own business. At that time... Just a few years before that, I accepted the Lord. It was, I was about 37 years of age, 36 years, somewhere around there, 36, 37 years of age. And uh, when the Lord called me into his kingdom, he also called me into ministry and uh, left the business, went to uh, Bible college. My wife and I, we, we uh, prayed about it with our children and together as a family, we made a decision to go to Prairie Bible College, where I have uh, an Associate of Arts degree and also a Bachelor's degree. After that, we went into ministry, and over the years, I've taken a number of graduate courses. Uh, not, uh, I, I didn't enter into a graduate um, program, but I did take graduate courses, independent studies. We spent six years doing a church plant in Myrnham, Alberta. Anybody know where Myrnham is? Oh, there's a couple of people. It's a tiny little Ukrainian village uh, in Alberta, somewhere between Lloydminster and Vegarville, if you know Alberta at all. And uh, we enjoyed the ministry there. It was wonderful. The church is doing well, as far as I know today. And uh, it was actually quite amazing because my daughters threw a surprise birthday party for me when I was 60. And we had 10 people from that little community go all the way to Edmonton to celebrate with me. So it was, it was wonderful. We spent eight years at Swan River, Manitoba. Anybody recognize Swan River, Manitoba? <laughs> it's another small community, uh, but we enjoyed, enjoyed eight years of ministry there. After that, we came to Vernon and we spent the last five years uh, working with Community Baptist Church. Very much enjoyed the ministry there, the people there, wonderful. However, I, I think that God used all of these ministries 
to take us to a place where we're at today. And that is that we, I think God is leading us in a new ministry direction. And that is just to help other churches move forward. And so that's the direction that we are taking. And so I just want to say, that's a little bit about us. But I didn't come here to talk about us. I came here to present to you a message that I believe God has for you. I know there's a pulpit here, but pro it's probably been 10 years since I've been behind a pulpit to preach. Uh, I, I kind of lied a little bit there. I did a funeral a couple of months ago where I stood behind a pulpit, but um, I'm not a pulpit, behind the pulpit kind of guy, so I, I hope you don't mind that. I tend to move around a little bit. Uh, this morning, I want to share from a passage in Joshua chapter 1. But before I do that, let's just take a moment to, to bow in prayer. Father, this morning, as we've all gathered here, we've gathered for one thing, and that is to spend time with you. And in that time, Father, we want to worship you, but we also want to hear from you. And so I ask, Father, that you would speak and that we would hear your voice. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before I share this passage, I want to ask you a few questions. The questions are these. What situation in your life has impacted you to the point that it has changed who you are? What has impacted you to such a point that it has changed who you are? I know for myself, when God came into my life, I became a different person. My wife will verify that. I'm a totally different person. Something changed in me. You see, life has all kinds of twists and turns, and it takes us in all kinds of directions. And when it does, we respond. And so the question is, how do you respond to the changes that take place in your life? How do you respond to that? How do you handle new or changing situations? How do you respond to, to life-altering circumstances? It could be a birth in the family. It could be a death in the family. It could be a move from, another, from one city to another city. It could be losing a job. My wife tells me that when she was growing up, she moved 14 times in about 14 years, 15 years. That's a lot of move. That's a lot of change. What that meant really was that every time that there was a move, she had to leave behind a home. She had to leave behind a neighborhood. She had to leave behind friends. She had to leave behind everything that was normal for her. And every time she moved into a new community, there was a new home. 
There were new neighbors, new schools, new situations to deal with. I, on the other hand, was totally different. I only know the one home in which I grew up in until the day I got married. I understand that we did move when I was very young, but I don't remember the move. So all I know is that single home all my life until I got married. The stability that's there. But then we also think of what a dramatic change had to take place in my life. Then there's also my daughter Cassie. And I, and I guess she has a little bit of that stability that, that I had. She, she doesn't want to change anything. As she was growing up, she was about three years old, and, and in our family room, we had things arranged in a certain way, and that's the way that she knew it. And one day, we decided we would change the room around. We would put the couch on the other wall. We would put this chair over here. And she came into the room, and she says, No, no, Daddy, no, it's got to go back the way it was. It, it doesn't belong there. It has to be over here. She did not want to see anything change because that's the way it's supposed to be. Even Christmas became a very traditional thing. It was sort of like this, that Dad, he would take out the tree and he would set it all up. And Dad would take and put on all the lights. And after that happened, then Mom and the girls would decorate the tree. After the tree was decorated, I would take one of my daughters and I would pick them up and they would put the angel on the top of the tree. One year I decided, you girls have grown up enough. Maybe you could put the tree up. There were tears. It did not happen. It did not happen. It's interesting because the day came when when, when our daughter Cassie got married. All of a sudden, things had to change. Now when we go over to my daughter's house, just about every time we go there, one of the rooms in the house has been changed around. She has also started new traditions with her family. The old is gone. Why do I share this with you today? Well, it's, there are some difficult things in life. But you see, it's not difficult to accept a new job promotion. You do it enthusiastically. You get a job promotion, that's what you're looking forward to. And generally, we call it advancement. It's not too difficult to accept technology, computers, cell phones, to get into an airplane and fly across the world, to uh, go into a restaurant and get food in two minutes. We call that progression. But when it comes to certain traditions, we often see it, when those things change, we see it as regression. We don't want to see those things change. 
It's not the way that we do things. Not too many years ago, and probably most of you will remember this, not too many years ago, we had morning services and we had evening services. And that's the way it was. Sometimes we wonder, because today things have changed. There's rarely a church that has an evening service. They may have multiple services, but that's in order to serve the number of people that are coming. But if we think back to where this all began, we find that the church didn't have electricity. So it had to hold its services during the day. When electricity came and lights were available, the church said, you know what, it's a good idea to have a morning service and an evening service. Culture has changed. And we've taken away the evening service. And for many churches, they have expanded the morning service. It's not regression. It's not progression. It's just change. And sometimes change can be upsetting. But with every change comes new hope, new growth, new opportunities, and many new blessings. And I think that's the thing that we have to remember. God is in this. And God's work is not to keep things always the same, never change, but to allow the changes to become something that will bless us in the end. The Israelites were a people of tradition. But God put change into their lives. And they... I guess in the end they would have recognized that it was God at work, even though that they wanted to do certain things. So this morning I want to go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Here scripture starts with the words, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. There were so many things that took place in Israel at the time that Joshua became a leader. There were so many transformations that God came to Joshua before he took leadership. And he says to Joshua, he says these words. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. The Lord, your God, goes with you. So never mind all the changes that have taken place. That's not the point. Don't focus on the changes. The Lord, your God, is going with you. That's the thing that I think that, that God wanted Joshua to remember. I am with you. I am with you. What's the history of Israel? I'm sure that all of us remember how in Exodus, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years. 400 hard years. And these years became very traditional to them. They just accepted it. I mean, after 400 years, doing the same thing every day, every day, 
Can you imagine 400 years of labor? 400 years of labor, 400 years of living in the exact same communities, 400 years of sharing the same tables with the same people, 400 years sharing the same kinds of foods day after day after day, the same style of clothing. I don't think their clothing changed. I mean, they had new clothing or made new clothing, but the same style of clothing. They shared also the same complaints day after day. They shared the same problems, the same hardships. This is what they shared. And it became something that they expected. You see, that was just life. And then came along Moses. He changed everything, right? He upset everything that they had known for the last 400 years. But it was painful. It was difficult. It was upsetting. Things were so different from the way things used to be for the last 400 years. But when Moses presented what God wanted to do, there was hope. The change was tough, but there was hope. Hope for this freedom that they were going to have from from the Egyptians. And hope brought also new opportunities. But when things didn't turn out the way they had dreamed, there was a big problem. So I think any time a change takes place and we think of it in a positive way, we have this imagination of where we're going and what's going to happen. And when it doesn't happen exactly that way, well, you know what happens. Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. The Israelites said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of into the desert to die? A smashed hope, a smashed dream. What have you done to us, they said, by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? And I'm sure when, when uh, Moses came and, and made this proposal, we're going to all leave as a nation. We're going to walk right out of Egypt. They all said, no way, we can't do that. This is an impossible thing. I'm sure that Moses says, God's taking us. And when they finally accepted that fact, they had their dreams. And they said, later, they said, didn't we tell you? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And in the desert, in chapter 16, verse 2, the whole community, the Bible tells us, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I especially think it was against Moses. They cried out in chapter 17, verse 3, against Moses saying, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And you know what? God, in all his grace, gave them water to drink, and gave them manna to eat and satisfied them for the moment. God's grace, their grumblings. They grumbled, God gave grace. I wonder if that's a little bit like that in our lives. God looks down on us and we, 
We want things to, to go our way. And we sometimes go the wrong path to get there. God just looks down at us with all his grace. But God's grace wasn't enough for the Israelites. In Numbers chapter four, 11, verses 4 to 6, the Israelites started wailing, if only we had meat to eat. Now they had water and they had manna. Now they needed meat. And they said this. They said, we remember... Now, they're thinking back to the 400 years in Egypt. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. They wanted more. I can identify with that. We always want more. How quickly they forgot the slavery that they were in, the pain of the slavery. How quickly they forgot about all of the little babies that Pharaoh ordered to be killed so that Israel would not grow. They forgot about the blows from the whips they only thought of the leeks and the onions <laughs> and all the other things they ate. But in this moment, they no longer had hope or opportunity or blessing that they saw. They saw the dull side of things. They only saw God's provision as something that was now creating misery in their lives. God's provision was creating misery in their lives. They wanted to go back to what they had. Their eyes weren't on God. Their eyes weren't on the blessings that God wanted to bestow upon them. And so they decided to entrust or decided to trust in themselves rather than in God. They decided to put everything of their future into their own hands rather than putting it into the hands of God. But God always knows what he's doing, doesn't he? God always knows what he's doing. It may seem unreasonable to us, and we only see it afterwards. I just think about all the prophecies that were in Scripture. We never recognize these prophecies until they've happened. Before the prophecy comes to be, we don't believe them. But when they've happened and we look into Scripture, we go, yeah, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> what a great God we have. God is patient with us. He was patient with the Israelites. God's kindness was over the Israelites. God's kindness is on us. God's grace is given to us as well. After 40 years of Moses leading the Israelites, God makes another move, and he takes Moses' life. He takes away the heroic leader. Now, that's a big change that had to take place. And he did that in hopes that after 40 years in the desert, this group of people, his own, 
would have learned a thing or two, especially with a whole new generation. He had hoped that this nation would put their full trust in him. And so God decides it's time for new leadership. God always begins with leadership. That's where God begins, with his people. Whether it's the Israelites or whether it's a church, God begins with a new leader. A professor of mine once said this. He says, as leadership of the church goes, so goes the church. As leadership of the church goes, so goes the congregation. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, God says to Joshua, who is now the leader, be strong. Be strong. When God spoke these words to Joshua, here's a question. Did he use these words to challenge Joshua? Say, I put you into leadership. Now I'm giving you this challenge. Be strong. Or was God saying to Joshua, look within yourself. You can do this. I've appointed you. I've appointed you. Because you are strong, you can do this. You have it in you. No, I don't think that was what God was saying to Joshua. Wasn't God saying to Joshua, be strong in me. Be strong in me. I am your strength. Put your faith in me. Trust me, and I will carry you through. You will be a strong leader, not because you're strong. You will be strong because I am the Lord. And I will take you through this time of change. Center your life on me. Center your life on my words. In verse 7 and 8, God says this. Because there's a promise in these words. He's saying, if you're strong in me, he says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And here's the promise. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Depend on me and you will be prosperous and successful. See, this promise or this command that the, that the Lord gave Joshua came with this promise of prosperity and success. But it wasn't for money. It wasn't for property. It wasn't for houses. This wasn't a wealth, health, and prosperity gospel that God was preaching to Joshua. It was about a relationship. It was about a relationship that he wanted, not only with Joshua, but also with the whole clan, with all of Israel. It was about the mission that God had for them, 
And it comes with life fulfillment. When God makes a promise, He wants us to feel good about what He's doing. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be content to carry out His will. Secondly, God says to Joshua, be courageous. The word courageous really means to be alert, to be bold. But not that of a boisterous outward personality or voice, but that of inward strength and character. To be courageous was that of something that happens inside. One that is secure in the Lord and is dependent upon the Lord. Joshua takes these words to heart and he humbly goes before Israel in chapter 10, verse 25. And a whole new chapter begins for the Israelites. One that leads them into the promised land. And just before they go into the promised land, you know what Joshua does? He takes the same message that God gave to him and he passes it on to the people of Israel. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. And he's meaning the same thing. He's saying, you can't do this in your own strength. Being strong means strong in the Lord. Being courageous means that it's something that God is doing inside of you, not something that you are doing. The message was not just for Joshua, not just for the leaders of the church or the leaders of the people of Israel, but the message is for the people as well. It's for you and me. It's for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's really my message for you today. This requires faith. Not methods. There's no methodology here. It's faith. It requires trust. Not doubt or suspicion, but trust. It requires moving on. It requires moving ahead, not pulling back. God has a plan. And that plan is to take possession of the land. That's really the message I think that God has for you as a church. Take possession of the land. Sometimes we have to take our eyes off the circumstances to see the good that God is doing. Sometimes we, we come into a certain situation and we just look at these circumstances and we say, how? Where do we go? What do we do? Let's stop looking at the circumstances and let's start looking at the changes that God wants to bring about. What does God want to do? Not what do we want to do. What does God want to do? Especially when we're struggling. Whether we're struggling in times of grief or pain or joblessness or any circumstance in life. Sometimes that can hold us back. And we've got to look beyond that. We've got to say, what, God, have you got for us next? 
Some people only see the rain. Others go out, and you know what they see? The rainbow. Others take a walk through the forest, and along the path, all they see is dirt and mud. Others walk through the path in the forest, and they see They see the beauty that God has created. They see all of the creatures that God has created. They see the birds. They see the plant life. And they're amazed. They're in awe. But some just see the dirt on the ground. This morning I want to encourage you to see everything that God has not only given you, but everywhere that God is going to take you. See all that God has blessed you with in the past, but also begin to look at all the blessings that God wants to give you in the future. Even amongst all the clutter and insecurity and uncertainty, take notice of the important thing, and that is the relationship that you have with God. Nothing trumps that. That's where it all begins. It's that relationship that you have with God. Don't tell God what needs to be done. (laughs) We do that often, don't we? God, this is what needs to be done. God, do you want to move in this direction? Do you want to move in this way? No, no. God, which way are you taking me? Which way are you taking us? You see, God already knows where he's going. God already knows where he's taking you. His plans are already enacted. There will always be things that we don't understand. There will always be questions. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, Scripture says this. These are the words of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In all the campaigns that God sent the Israelites on, they had this uncanny way of going in the wrong direction. They never seemed to be on track with God. God told them to go into Israel and smite all of their enemies. They left them, some of them, which became very troublesome in the future. They didn't quite finish the task because they weren't looking at what God was seeing. They were looking at what they felt was all they wanted to do. They got sidetracked. They didn't complete the mission. So I want to encourage you this morning to stay on God's mission. The relationship you have with God and to stay on mission with God. Because remember, in Joshua chapter 1, it came with a promise. You will be successful. You will be prosperous and successful. That's God's promise to all of you. You stay in that relationship. If you stay on mission with God, you will be prosperous and successful.
It's God's promise to us. Let us pray. Father, it's so easy. (laughs) It's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to think of, of doing things our own way. It's so easy to to know that you are directing us in this one way. But for some reason, we just tend to go in a different direction. But God, I pray that you help us, as your word says, to stay in your word, to follow your directions as outlined in your word, to keep that relationship with you, to keep going in the direction that you want us to go. Let us not let go, Father. Let us hold on to your hand. We ask that you guide us and that you take us to where you want us to be. Because I know that in that we have the greatest satisfaction that we could ever have. All because of what Jesus has done for us. We just praise you and thank you. And may your blessing be upon this church, upon these people, upon its leadership and its future. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.